Hello, we are Roxana and Melissa from Arduino Education. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Arduino Education Podcast. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to our podcast to get notification when a new episode is published. Last episode, we talked about autonomous vehicles with Chetin Merichli, co-founder and CEO of Locomation. In this episode, we will discuss the Internet of Things. By 2023, there will be three times more network devices on Earth than humans, and there are many opportunities in this field. Let's welcome our guests to learn more about IoT. Welcome, Andre. Hi, nice to be here. Thank you for, for joining. So Andre is an experienced teacher with a demonstrating history of working in higher education and industry. He teaches uh, the Internet of Things course at the Collège Communitaire du Nouveau-Brunswick and has a broad experience in process improvement, system analysis, electrical wiring, databases, programming and measurement systems, and corporate training. Andre has a master's degree in physics and also holds a Lean Six Sigma master's their black belt certification. But Andre, uh, before we start with the interview, we um, ask our guests some short questions for our Eduvision Friends book. So what makes you feel inspired? Discovering new things, always finding something new, learning something new. And in the classroom, whenever I get, you see it in the student's eyes, the ha, the aha moment, when the, the, light, the eyes light up, oh my God, okay. Let's go. <laughs> so this is all things that, for me, uh, really give me uh, inspiration or give me some energy to keep going and keep researching and discovering and having fun teaching. Yeah, I can imagine seeing the moment when they realize something or they have learned it themselves or through troubleshooting actually made it work. It's amazing. Yeah, and it's it's kind of amazing. As an example, I had a, a few students that would come into class early, and I'm always in class early, setting things up, working on something, making sure everything will go well for the day. And you, in the past few years, I always have different components. I haven't tested different uh, uh, sensors or actuators that I haven't tested. So I would come into class and then dig in my goodie bag and throw one at a student, and it's amazing when you leave, let, leave them free range, what they come up with and all of a sudden like, okay, do you want to talk to us about and within half an hour, everything's connected, it works, they've solved the issue and they're using it in class. So it's kind of interesting when you flip it around and you get let the, to, the students teach. So that's part of what's really fun. Uh, do you have any people, books, or other resources that have been particularly influential for you? I, I guess one of the books that I've, and I've, I've got it here, and maybe a lot of people online will recognize it, but it's the Forest Mims Getting Started in Electronics. It's the original copy of 1983, and it's actually like kind of written all about electronics and it's handwritten. So I got I got that book in like 1983 with other things. And to me at that time, electronics looked so complicated. Like, wow, what is it? Just to make an LED flash <laughs> was complicated. Now with the world with Arduinos, microcontrollers, you make an LED flash with two lines of code. So it's kind of interesting. So that was my introduction or the first book that got me started in the world of programming electronics and 
within other things. So that's probably, and it's still available out there. There's, I think, like 15 <laughs> reprints of it. So it's kind of interesting. It's become, I think, almost a cult uh, favorite. We used to buy it at Radio Shack, which is no longer. So anyways, so that's one of the things that that's out there, that's still out there, and that still probably inspires a few people. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so what's one thing you wish you know when you began your career? Honestly, the answer is not programming, electronics, or anything like that. The answer for me is personal productivity. What are the tools and the techniques that I can organize myself so that I have time, I can concentrate on things, learn faster, do things faster. So this whole, which I learned really late in my career, things like the Pomodoro technique, 25 minutes concentrating, you do a task, 25 minutes, you spread out your task, breaking down tasks. In fact, it's something that the other teacher in the program, Yaya uh, Madrani and myself, have judged that it's important enough that this is the first time it's actually, I think, being done at this college or at the CCNB, is we've introduced a best practices in personal productivity for the students. So now we've got about 45 hours the first semester we started today where we're going to help them with their study techniques, uh, reading techniques, uh, personal productivity. So just set them up so that it becomes easier for them to do their schoolwork, to have that after work, after school job, and to succeed. Most of our students come from all over the world. So we want to try to give them the tools they need to succeed in the program and at work. Yeah, definitely. I, I can rem remember from my own years of studying, you really had to learn the best way for yourself mm -hmm. to learn and to manage all the tasks. Or for for example, for me, I need deadlines Okay. to get things done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, It's a great book, Getting Things Done, by the way, by yeah. David Allen. Um, yeah, no, and I like what you just mentioned being, okay, having the tools that work for me, what we're hoping is by the end of the semester, by end of November, that students have their own toolbox. For me, the Pomodoro technique works, but it may not necessarily be what, so we're going to introduce different techniques and we're going to get the students to try them out. And hopefully they can build their own toolbox. So by the end of December, they've got techniques that work for them, which will then translate for the rest of their studies for the two years they're with us and hopefully on uh, the, in their jobs. Yeah, mm -hmm. rest of their lives, definitely. That's very good. I wish I had that. Yeah. <laughs> then what's a common myth about your profession or field that you would like to set straight? People think that it's all about math logic. It's all about uh, hard science, soldering stuff, anything. One of the things I like to think about, it's about creativity. It's about letting your imagination go. We're seeing things right now uh, in the world where artists have taken electronics, microcontrollers, and are doing absolutely amazing things. Like there's a light dance show, which is absolutely amazing. So to me, it's, it's more about trying to figure out, let the creative thinks about different ways of applying things, not just simply buy something and plug it in, but what else can you do? What kind of problem can you solve 
that doesn't have a readily available solution. And, and that's one of the things that, again, we're working with the students. It's still this very touchy-feely thing, but creativity, most of the people working in the fields we're working now are problem solvers, will find very creative ways of using stuff, of using things. Oh, I never thought I could use it this way, is something you'll hear very often. So creativity, most people are creative. And uh, it's something that I think is not necessarily known. Everybody thinks black and white, zeros and one, but there's room, ample room for creativity. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, tell us something interesting about yourself most people don't know. I get bored easily. I love cycling, but I cannot do the same trail more than once or twice. I get bored. And that translates in everything I do. My course outlines, my plans, my teaching, my lessons are constantly changing because I like to learn. I like to see new stuff, do it a different way. If something works, I use it, but I will give it another twist. And it's quite something that probably I'm happy where I am right now teaching IoT at the community college here in New Brunswick because how can I get bored with it? There's so many things to learn, so many things to do. It's a new program. It's where are we going to be in 10 years? I might not be here, but we're already talking about dust. <laughs> not magic dust, but dust that will communicate components so tiny that they can so it's it's just constantly evolving so yeah i get bored easily that's why i change jobs many many times <laughs> <laughs> no but i think iot is a good field for you then yeah always yeah. changing evolving new things so yeah thank you those were the easy friends book questions <laughs> let's get to the complex ones yes okay <laughs> <laughs> So, at the moment, we're talking with Andre Roussel, and we're going to talk about IoT. But first, let's discuss how you got into the programming world. So, Andre, you started programming in the early 80s with the Tandy TRS-80 Model 1. Why did you start, and what was your motivation, and how was the first experience? I've been thinking about that, that TRS-80 Model 1. I mean, it's. I started actually, my first programming course was at uh, Le Collège Communautaire du Nouveau-Brunswick in Edmonston. So we're talking, what, 10, 20, 30, 40-some years ago. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I was actually a student at night. I was taking a night class, and uh, we started coding. And that all came about because a friend and I did a science fair, like everybody else, science fairs. Ooh, robots. Can we get a robot to move? Can we put a computer on it? So we started doing that classes. Then we got a Timex Sinclair little flat keyboard computer. And we had a, a robot that kept running away from us for I think was our 11th grade science fair. So we had a ball and I've never been far away from it since then. I've never studied formally, don't have a bachelor's degree in science and computer science, but I've been coding since then, off and on. It's always new. You're always discovering. So it's something that I had fun doing since then. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. We checked the picture of this uh, Tandy TRS-80, and it's super interesting. So if you can uh, Google that, yeah. do it, because it's, it's very fun to see at how it looked like. Yeah, 
And it was especially because I was there when we actually got a cassette recorder so we could save our programs on it. So it was literally just a tape cassette. You'd press record and it would record your program and you'd play it back to the computer. So it was like, wow, we can save our programs now. I honestly don't remember, but at one point in time, you were lucky if you had 64Ks of memory in your computer. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, but it was a great piece of technology. And, and Andre, after that, you start teaching uh, web development at community college. And uh, what type of resources did, did you use? And how do you think that kind that, that teach teaching has evolved? Well, that that was like mid to late '90s. So I mean, you're in the personal computer revolution. So we had labs full of those desktop with those CRT thick screens, computers, and we were lucky if we had a color monitor or something like that. So, I mean, you're talking the, the, the birth of the web, like 1995, 1996. So, I mean, at, at that point in time, you were almost considered <laughs> very very high if you could actually do some html and you could code a web page now you drag and drop and you've got a lot of tools like joomla and wordpress and all sorts of things to help you in templates help you make great web websites but it, 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 it at that time was interesting because you were really really close to the machine i mean if you wanted a better graphic card like early 90s and stuff like that you amazon wasn't there yet amazon came in 97 98 if i'm not mistaken so you'd walk to your local radio shack a local computer store grab a video card open up your machine play with the jumper so you were really close to the machine and that gave a lot of people quite a good understanding of how the machine works how data is stored how the machine works how to keep everything clean because at the time when you actually had to change directory change directory change it was all command line uh windows was there but still a bit <laughs> flaky <laughs> uh now and now this has progressed i mean stuff that we saw in at that point in time like tablets i'm still thinking about star trek the next generation the old old show yeah but they had tablets and you at that time, you'd go, wow, I wish I could have one of those. Now we have them. So it's kind of fun to see the evolution. What we thought was science fiction at a certain point in time then is now reality. And now everybody's using it. Everybody's having fun. And everybody is being productive with those machines. And we're doing different things with them. We're doing greater pieces of software. AI is taking over. And it's really interesting. So there's a big contrast where... We were taking baby steps and now quite rapidly, you can do some pretty amazing stuff with a lot less effort. But in a sense, you're also coming when you're starting to work in the world, uh, having fun in the world of uh, microcontroller platforms like Arduino Maker Maker 1010s or, or BLE, Nano BLE Sense or whatever, the, the Arduinos, that uh, the microcontrollers that you build or any other microcontrollers out there you're coming back to that world where hmm i want to be careful i don't want to run out of memory so i've had issues with certain models uh, that we were trying to run in ai in uh, machine learning that i was running out of memory on my processor so so it, it brought me back to that time where we actually had to be careful of how much memory we used 
what we did as software. So it's kind of interesting. So it's evolved, but we're still finding bits and pieces of what we were doing in the late 90s and things like that. And like you said, you're aware of the both of the hardware and software, but then maybe at some point you don't really have to care about the hardware. But now again, you have to think about it and you can do more when you understand both. You can do more. It's not necessarily that you need to understand both. Yeah. 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 It's, I know what you mean. It's still something that I'm somehow debating is when we're teaching programming and stuff like that. It's how far should we go into the system? Because you can code right now without computer has enough resources. You can code whatever you want to code without reaching any limits. We have discussed on many occasions why most people think programming, programming is difficult to learn. But in your opinion, what are the difficulties teachers and students face while teaching and learning coding? To me, I remember the first time I learned, like, I took a Fortran course in university. It wasn't related to everyday things. It wasn't solving a problem I wanted to solve. It, it, it was just literally, okay, this is a loop. We make a loop. This is a for loop. This is a while loop. This is a variable. So it was all the programming originally and so, a lot of it is still like this it's just okay it's just the mechanics of the language of a loop of how the computer works it's not translated into i've got this problem i want to solve i'm looking outside or i'm looking at uh, a manufacturing chain and, and okay this is not going right i need to solve this problem so if you can help a student solve an existing problem, maybe you create the problem in the first place. You give the student, meaning you give the student a scenario. When it's really attached to a real life situation, it gets easier. Now people are starting to understand why they need to do this. Because honestly, programming for the sake of programming can be easily, again, boring. <laughs> So when it's attached to something real, when you're actually doing something that will influence things around you or gather data, we're starting to talk about IoT, it's, it gets really interesting and it's going to help people, then you've got it made. Yeah. And in other things, not just programming, when you have a goal or like you said, a problem you want to solve, you have more motivation. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So how did you start using Arduino? How was your, your experience? How did you know about Arduino? Through probably one of the articles or magazine I read, it really started, and this might sound a bit strange to some of your audience, but in northern New Brunswick, uh, there's a lot of hunters. They hunt. So the idea is a lot of people have big meat coolers, like butchers, but some have them personal meat coolers. So I happened to be working and building one with some family and I'm going, okay, so I'm going to have a lot of meat that I have to keep cool. I'm not going to get up at two o'clock in the morning to go check the temperature. <laughs> so that's where I went, hmm, there must be a way. So I started looking up and I'm seeing, okay, I can't put my laptop in there. And that was around 2014, 2013, 2014. That's where, oh, wow, look at this. Arduinos, raspberry pies, man, those are cool. What can I do with those? Can I use them? So that was one of my first projects was just basically monitor temperature and humidity because of the culture or the where I'm at. So it's, and actually that was one of the student projects uh, work term last spring 
we've got this local butcher that does sausage and uh, he wanted a system to be able to monitor he has by law he's required to have uh, solid state temperature gauges on his fridges but then we offered him do you want an email at 10 o'clock and three o'clock that tells you exactly the temperatures you had you want an alarm when your fridge goes above four degrees celsius so yeah he said come on in so the students built him had seven fridges built him the arduino connected to wi-fi and he has uh, emails about his temperatures he has sms text if temperature is above a certain limit and all his data is archived so <laughs> it's kind of funny i worked on that a few years ago and then now the students are building more complex system and more easily if you want uh, for businesses in the area so that's how i got started using arduinos and having fun with them you wanted to solve a problem so yeah <laughs> always <laughs> if it doesn't solve a problem i won't be there yeah, exactly. I would say that's not that common uh, story. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> a very interesting one. <laughs> uh, yeah, about a meat cooler. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. We can cut that one out if you want. <laughs> I'll think of something oh. else. <laughs> that's, that's no, no, no. Really it's cool. a very interesting, like, to find out different ways people start using technology. And in this case, like Arduino, yeah, it's a very interesting story. You mentioned the students were doing this for a school project. Was it part of the IoT program? Yes. One of the things we have uh, at the end of the program, at the start of May, basically May and the first two weeks of June, they have a six-week work term. Like they go and we find different companies, industries that want to try something, that want to have them so they go and work for that company so that's one of the things that happened we because of the pandemic we we had to readjust so they were they they were actually kind of better placed because they had the full lab to them so they had all their arduinos all the sensors and everything so they had everything accessible because they stayed in school but i had three different businesses so they paired up and went to the three different businesses and worked there. So that's part of the program. We're training them and at the end, go. Let's see what you can do. So it's part of the program. Yeah, and, and talking about this program that you helped develop, uh, be, before we go more into detail, could you please explain our audience what is Internet of Things? Because we have heard about IoT, IoT, but could you please tell us briefly what it is? So. Basically, it's objects. It's little things out there. It's little electronic components that will gather things like temperature, humidity, just gather data. We'll then transfer those pieces of information to other objects. They're connected wirelessly, so they use the internet. That information is then, that data, if you want, is then transformed into information. One of the greatest, one of the example that everybody uses and we don't think about, uh, I could ask your audience to raise your hand. How many people actually go see a weather forecast every day? How many people have a weather forecast application on their phone? Well, all the raw data is collected automatically out there. You don't have somebody with a good old pad and pen and paper that's walking around and checking, okay, this is 22 degrees and then comes back an hour after 23. Yeah, that used to be done like that in the 90s, early two. 2000s but now most of that is automated you've got microcontrollers you've got many many computers that are just 
grabbing that information, connecting to the internet, giving it, giving it to a, if you want, in the cloud, to a bigger computer, bigger processing power, that is transformed. There's models are run, all that temperature, humidity information, barometric pressure information is transformed in your daily weather forecast. The other example I like to give is, this is my little kind of smartwatch. It's a GPS watch. I like biking. So I start on my bike, click, turn it on, start pedaling. It gives me speed. It will give me distance. It will give me average speed, but that's about it. Mind you, there's more processing power in this watch than there was in my computer in 1984. But that's all the watch gives me. But with, with my Accord, like I gave it permission, connects through my phone to the internet, goes up into the cloud, and then gets transferred into something where I can actually pop up a map of where I've been. How high did I go? How fast was I? What was my fastest five kilometer? No way my watch can do that. But all that computing power available in the cloud can actually do that. So that's an example. And then it helps me make decisions. Do I want to do, do I want to go up that hill again? <laughs> or do I prefer going down that hill? But it also goes and connects further. It does connect with my, I get, okay, you did this. This is the average speed you had. These were the temperature conditions. What was the, how hot was it? How humid was it? But it also becomes a bit social because then I can share my ride with all my friends. And I can see where my friends went and go, ooh, that's a nice place. I want to go ride there. So this is part of and parcel. Maybe they're examples, but this is what the Internet of Things can do for you. So it's all about convenience. Yes. <laughs> it's all about information. Sometimes it's serious information for serious decisions. Am I going to do this to my process? Am I going to change my production line to produce this or that? Or do I change different components? Sometimes it's just for the fun of it. I'm not a pro cyclist. I'm just somebody who enjoys cycling. So it you will, you'll see it industry. You'll see it used personally. Most of us use the Internet of Things and we don't know about it. Most people don't even realize they're using the Internet of Things. And like we said, you've been now part of developing an IoT program for the school that you're working. Could you explain us briefly what is this program about? Who is it for? How long does it take? What does it include? This is actually, it's, it's quite a new program. We're uh, only teaching our second wave of uh, students. And uh, basically, it's designed as a program to help the graduates enter business, be part of teams that are working around processes, uh, be part of teams that are trying to solve an issue, gather data, and everything. Like that. It's to use all the abilities or the, 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 the abilities that the students have developed in order to help the business go further, faster. So as an example, I, we have one of our graduates right now that's working on a, uh, for a construction uh, crane uh, company. So the idea is to have all of those safety measures in the cranes. It's those big, big construction cranes that build uh, skyscrapers. So they have all the, the safety systems in place that the crane will stop before hitting the side of a building or high tension power lines. But everything is local to the crane, what they're working on trying to get that. 
plaque where people engineers are getting all that information so that people can see what is actually happening on the crane so it's part of transferring some data that's very local and only being able to be seen by the operator to the people that can actually make changes and improve things. Most of our students will be part of teams. Uh, we've got one student that's actually working for an innovation center and is helping demonstrate the capabilities of different sensors, actuators, the Internet of Things for small businesses. And this is what's interesting about the Internet of Things. We've always had PLCs, like process control, uh, major process control. We've always had those. But with the Internet of Things and the low cost, small size, rapid prototyping, it's really interesting for a small business that cannot afford those thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of high-end uh, process control systems to be able actually to get some pieces of data for a couple of hundred dollars and help them improve. So this is kind of the the more unique niche of specific solutions for a specific problem so that's a little bit where some of our students are winding up how do you know what to include in in an iot program because as we mentioned iot is not new but maybe in the education field maybe it's kind of more new so how how do you know what to include in the program Lots of reading, lots of reading, lots of research. <laughs> um, we're lucky in the sense that we do have access to market studies and, and the rest. And what we're trying to do is a, a lot of the IoT or the courses you can take right now is you'll take an electrical engineering degree and you'll have two or three courses on specific on IoT. Or you can go on Coursera and have a few IoT courses there. The, the, the interesting part with our program is because the community college here, the CCNB, College Communitaire does is really close to the job market, is really close to the smaller, where in this area, there's a lot of small industries. So they, they're constantly doing uh, studies to see what people will need. And this is what we saw. Okay, we've got this great, this interesting thing called the Internet of Things, but how do we translate it to local industry? So that's why, that's what kind of helped us create this course, or it was actually created originally when I first got here, but to help us modify. And what we're trying to do is we're not trying to, we already have here, and which is what is great, uh, the, at the community college here, we already have a two-year program in electronics, a two-year program in programming, a two-year program in data analysis, and a two-year program in networking. So what we're trying to do is combine the best aspects that we need for IoT from all those programs. And we've modified those courses over the last two years to give something uh, meaningful and really integrated to our students. So that's part of what we're doing here. I can really imagine all the different benefits that the students get from this kind of, you have already thought about where they can use these skills in their careers and in the future. So it's not that you're just learning this for the sake of learning, but you're actually, you can see while you're learning where you can benefit from these kind of skills. Yeah. I think that's really nice for the students. 
for sure. And then would you like to mention some of the tools that the students are using in these courses or some uh, explain kind of one of the lessons, for example, give us an example of one of the lessons. Okay, well, the tools range from a multimeter to microcontrollers, be they Arduino, SparkFun, like we, we're, we're trying to expose the students to multiple things, but in a sense that it does work together. Uh, uh, the, the example I like to use is in uh, right now, they've got a first semester, first year, first semester. They've got two main courses, which one is the uh, electric uh, electronic circuits and microcontrollers where we combine both and they've got a programming course. So what we like to do, uh, Yaya and myself, is when I'm going to take do Ohm's law in the electronics course, he's actually going to get the students to code Ohm law, Ohm's law in the programming course. So we're trying to combine the things. So they just only see it in one place. They see it both places. But at the same time, yeah, we're going to talk about Ohm's law, but I've got a little few lines of code. They're going to, as we say, plonk an Arduino in a breadboard, build a little circuit, and they're going to use one of the pins to just read the voltage drop across different resistors. So they're going to get to learn that. At the same time, they're going to be changing resistors to see, oh, OK, the higher the resistor, the less current I've got flowing, the the not as bright, my LED won't be as bright. So it's, it's, it's integrated in the sense that we're trying to get them to connect everything together. We're not waiting doing basic series Electric, uh, electronic circuit, parallel electronic circuit. And we're starting immediately to integrate what they're going to be using over the next two years. But as we progress, we're going to do deeper and deeper and deeper dives. They'll be using a temperature uh, sensor this fall, but we're only going to dive deep into sensors next spring, uh, next winter. So it's it's we're trying to get them to really put their hands on right now, really play with them. One of the first exercises we're doing as soon as they get their kit is they'll be on Arduino Cloud. They'll really connect. They'll connect one to Arduino Cloud. It goes really quickly for students. And uh, it's really interesting to see them. Oh, okay, this is doable. I don't understand everything, <laughs> but it's doable. Now, our job is to make sure you understand everything or most of it by the end. Yeah, and it's maybe more interesting to first try it out and then understand what am I doing than rather starting from reading all these theory and then maybe get to try it. Yeah, it's a bit of the reverse classroom philosophy. It's just here, go, <laughs> try it out. Okay, I've got some issues. Okay, well, come back. Let's talk about it. There, <laughs> send them back, try it out, come back. So they, they get to build their stuff. And as I say, some of the students come and could we have that component or that sensor? Of course, here, go, go play. So the more they're playing with it, the more they're learning. So that's what we try to do. Yeah, it sounds like a very well-rounded program because you not only include technology and theory, but like you were saying, how they can manage the time working teams. That's very interesting. And as we mentioned, it's one thing we noticed is we're here to make sure that the student succeeds in their job. 
So we're not only doing programming and electronics, we're trying to give them the basic skills like uh, personal productivity, uh, a bit of planning and rapid execution of projects. So we're trying to, in there, we're trying to make sure that they have the tools. We're, we're going back, I've got over 20 years in the private sector, minings and metals and projects and stuff. So I'm going back and I'm trying to bring that into the classroom to make sure that they've got what they need uh to to succeed and it, it's kind of interesting thank you for mentioning that i had kind of forgotten about that but <laughs> <laughs> no it, it seems like a, it's going very well although it's a new program it seems that it, it's working right <laughs> so what would you say uh or what do you think there are the the skills or what teachers need to have to start uh teaching iot try it just do it You've got amazing people out there that will share labs, projects, everything is available out there. You've got built-in kits. You've got an Explore uh, IoT kit that's absolutely amazing. It comes out of the box and you've got, I think it's what, eight labs or 10 labs, Arduino education online. Just try it, but start small. But again, it comes back to solving a, 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 an everyday problem. Even if it's just asking to have a switch, your light switch that you can control with your phone. When you're giving a presentation in class, you press the button, plunk, the switch, the, the, the lights dim in your classroom. So it's, it's all those little projects that eventually will get people interested and you'll get, you, you won't get maybe 25, depending on where, where you're at. I mean, if, if you're talking about uh, primary school, secondary school or something like that, you might not get all the students interested, but you might get one or two and they are going to do amazing things. I mean, I'm just waiting for some of these kids to grow up and just literally blow me away. Like, wow, okay, you've done this. So there's start small. There's resources out there. And, and yeah, talking about resources, uh, ask, Take a look at if you're you're if you're a teacher at the primary secondary levels, just go ask your local college or your local university. I'm pretty sure that you're going to get people that are going to be happy to go give a little workshop. They'll come in like they've they've we've given three or four workshops last year with masks and everything and disinfectant. And we, we pop in, we managed to get our hands uh, for the primary school. We gave workshops to grades four and five. We showed up with micro bits. We had a ball. Like we did one, microbit.org is great for primary school students. And we, we walked them through one of the demos. And then we said that one of the tutorials, and then we said, okay, go and do the one you want. It was just fun watching them go afterwards. See, we, we, work with them half an hour and then they spend the other hour and a half just exploring, having fun, creating different things. So it's kind of cool. And then as you go up, you can introduce more complex microcontrollers or more capable microcontrollers like the Arduinos that we do with secondary school and stuff like that. So it's, it's just try, go find the resources, talk to your local college, talk to your local university. I mean, I, Unless, unless it's exam season and we're, we're, we've got correction up to here, generally you'll find a teacher that's going to be happy to go give you a hand, give you a starting point. And, once you, and that's the hardest thing. It's the starting point. Once you get the starting point, then you can build on this and just build and build. 
and there's communities out there. The maker community is a great community. So it's uh, it's things. There's a lot of resources. Don't feel that you're all alone. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that could actually help you. And hey, go grab that bright kid from grade 11 or 12 that's already doing all of this electronic. Go grab him and bring him to your class. There's umpteen resources out there. Yeah, let the kids do the teaching, like you said. <laughs> yep. yeah. They learn fast. Yeah. We learn from them. Yeah. Teaching and coaching goes both ways. Cool. You mentioned here that teachers should ask and the teachers should look for the communities and the maker, other makers, but is there some way that they can follow your work? Uh, honestly, I'm always available. Send me an email, be happy to respond. And if it's something that I can help with, but if it's something that I can also get my second year students to help with. To me, that's project ideas. So if people have questions, want to figure out how to do things, teach things, uh, demonstrate things, integrate that in, be it in a home ec class, be it in a science class, be it in a programming class at all different levels at, uh, at uh, primary or secondary school or colleges, just give us a call. As we say, send us an email and we'll be happy to help. And sometimes we'll get the students to give you a hand too, because they start to uh, understand quite a few things by the time the second year rolls around. That's nice. Expect some uh, like emails coming <laughs> after this episode. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much, Andre. This was a great chat, great conversation. We learn a lot. And thank you so much for sharing. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you. So uh, on the next episode, we will talk about the space and we'll celebrate teachers as on October 7 is the World Teachers Day. Remember to check Edivision Live episode with Andre Russell on Thursday, October 30th at 5 p.m. Central European Summertime and join the conversation on our social media channels. Arduino on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and then as a new platform, we have also Crowdcast. You can, of course, check the episode afterward and you can find the direct links from arduino.cc education slash edivision. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Bye. Bye.